Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. My name is Trainer Chip Ritchie, joined as always by my co-host Azul Gigi. What's happening, Azul? How you doing? I'm doing good, Chip. Um, <clears throat> stayed home and watched EUIC from uh, my room, my stream setup. Had a good time on the stream. Had a ton of fun watching it. Um, definitely plan to do more streams like this in the future. It was a ton of it's a ton of fun to like just sit there and watch gameplay live still for sure. Especially in like doing the stream setting because like it's in the past, you know, I've watched regionals or stuff that mm -hmm. I haven't been at or ICs or whatever. But you know, doing it live with the stream is definitely a different experience. It's definitely super enjoyable. How about you? You're still in still in Europe. How's that been so far? Yeah, it's been a great time. The tournament was awesome. For anyone who doesn't know, I actually casted EUIC. We didn't get to talk about it last week on the cast because uh, it hadn't been officially announced yet. But I did uh, get to broadcast, be a, a commentator at EUIC. So big thanks to Pokemon for bringing me out. It was a ton of fun. Um, my first like major tournament casting experience. I've done like three regionals now at this point, and then several uh, like the Players Cups, which were all from at home. And uh, yeah, as you can see, our setup's a little different. I'm actually in a hotel room in London right now. My wife and I stayed after EUIC and we're, you know, doing some sightseeing around Europe for a few days, taking a little bit of a trip, making a trip out of it. So yeah, we're going to do some fun touristy things, which I'm excited about. But yeah, EUIC was an absolute blast. Germany was super cool. Frankfurt was really nice. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a ton, a ton, a ton of fun. <clears throat> nice yeah i wish i i wish i could have been there but uh i didn't want to get i didn't want to get stuck so i played it safe this time I actually around. i have not heard of anyone getting stuck yet so i don't know if it happened or not but yeah I actually, I, I, not that i that i have heard of at least i don't think anyone has gotten uh stranded out of the u.s i actually know someone it's not not in, not for uic but i know someone who's stuck in canada right now because they tested positive um and they can't get back in right yes. now <laughs> so oh, unfortunate um, unfortunately it is happening but um i mean you know safety first and that's what yeah i just don't want to take the risk of getting getting stuck over there so i'm definitely fine with my choice and yeah enjoy i still enjoyed um at least watching the event and watching all the all the cool decks that everyone came up with and that's going to be one of the things we talk about today we're going to be going over you know our individual perspectives of the tournament you know chip was there casting i was here chilling uh and then talk about the results of the tournaments as well a lot of interesting stuff happened from decks that did do well and decks that didn't do well uh, and then of course as always <laughs> we're gonna be i'm gonna be guessing the flavor text this week around and then um that's right talking a little bit about where the where the meta goes from here india is not too far away i think there's a it's not just indie though i think there's also actually i'm gonna pull that up i think it's indie and then there's um there's the Euro there's the European regionals and also the is there two or three Australian regionals this time around? I actually don't know. But those are all coming up soon as well. Uh, they're not too far off either. Yeah, I think Indy's the first thing though, right? I think that uh the Europe regionals is like a week after or two weeks after maybe. I don't remember exactly. There is a but it looks yeah, like there Indy is a, a Latin America regional actually the same weekend. Same weekend. Okay. Yeah, same weekend. So we yeah, we weren't totally on top of that. So we're going to definitely be talking about what the meta looks like post-EYC. Obviously, the results from the tournament were quite different than what I think anyone <laughs> expected. I don't know that anyone could have predicted exactly what happened leading into the tournament. So we'll talk about all of those things, how it affects future tournaments, and how people should prepare now for those events. But like Azul said, we're going to start off with our individual unique perspectives 
of the event. So I was there, I was casting, and the setup was really cool. The stage was incredible. It, it, it was a way higher production than um, I think most any tournament I've ever seen. It definitely had more of an esportsy vibe, I would say, compared to like, um, you know, I think like generally at Worlds, I think about that level of production. There's like a lot more hard um, props, like in backdrops on the stage, whereas this was like a big, massive screen, three huge, massive screens on the stage. And it was really cool as well for this tournament because there was uh, four different games going on. So there's almost always uh, Pokemon Tournament, VGC, and TCG. But for this tournament, there was Pokemon Go. And Pokemon Go was actually really cool. During one of my off rounds, I stood and actually watched the Pokemon Go stream for a little bit. And it was really, really cool. I met uh, all of the Go casters. They seemed like cool dudes. And I know they were just, like, pumped to be there because it was the first big event for their community, you know? So that was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to lie. It's hard for me to take Pokemon Go seriously. It was funny because they would, <laughs> during, like, the downtime of, like, the TCG rounds, they'd, like, pan over. And it's funny when you, like, can't see their screen. It looks like they're just hitting their phone really, really hard. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a little funny looking, but I know there's, like, a ton of, a ton of depth to the game and all that. It's just, it's just hard. To, it's just hard when I watch them actually do it. They're competing against each other. It's just, it's just, it, it is, it is a little funny looking. Um, but it yeah, definitely so is. And even up on the stage, it was kind of funny because like, you know, up on the stream, you know, you see their screens and yeah. stuff. But if you're just watching the players on the stage, they have this huge divider between yeah. them. They can't <laughs> see each other. There's these two judges sitting there looking at each player and they're just sitting there. Tap, 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 <laughs> spin, 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 tap, 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 tap. <laughs> it's, uh, it is kind of funny, but they were excited and you know pokemon go is like i think still like the biggest game yeah. in the world i mean it's like that or uh minecraft or fortnite i think are like the biggest highest grossing games in the world even still you know years after it came out i mean it's still just got a massive community i know no yeah it's definitely cool to have it there and actually it makes me more excited to see um what kind of stuff they do for unite and having unite at worlds um what definitely. that'll be like as well so that'll be actually very very cool i think the the stream overall was uh, done pretty well the new layout is is sick um that they have like for the, the basically the stream layout to show the players names and their stuff the one thing that was kind of missing i feel like from the and i had multiple people in chat be like yo what are the players records they didn't have the records on yeah. the stream which i think was a little weird and maybe they took them off the stream because it was confusing to have on stream because it's like what does that mean during the round but i feel like it's not that difficult to kind of digest so that would be cool to see back because i'm pretty sure they've always had that on there before yeah, I think records is something that's pretty much always been there. Um, so it, it was also something I was a little surprised to see got chosen to be left off. Also, something that we had in Salt Lake that I really liked was the player cams. Uh, so you could see the players' faces while they were playing their games, right? And we didn't have that for EUIC. And I, I don't think it's like the most necessary element because... So much of what's happening in our game is, you know, on the table as opposed yeah. to like what the players are, you know, how they're reacting and stuff. But there, that, there, that is definitely an element of the game is player reactions, um, you know, reading your opponent a little bit sometimes can come up, you know, off of like Marnies and stuff. You know, how good of a hand are you working with over there? Those type of things. Um, so I, I enjoyed the player cams and I'm not sure if that's going to be the plan for future regional streams is to have that or not but 
uh, it was definitely something that an, another aspect that has been on streams in the past that was missing from this one. I didn't even actually even realize it was missing. So I guess I, I didn't find it to be that <laughs> that big of a deal. Sure. Percy. I didn't even realize I was missing there. Um, I, just, I mean, they messed up. Like, I mean, there's a couple things they need to be a little bit better with their camera angle changing as well. We missed like I think once or twice we missed like a full turn. Um, they could definitely be like a little bit quicker with like. I think also, I feel like it's weird when they like delay the players from putting their prize cards out. That feels so weird to me because we don't need to see the players lay their prize cards out. Like if they just like let the players fully set up and just do a quick cut to looking at the prize cards and cut back to the gameplay before they start their game, like that seems fine. But like, and they've done that for a while where they delay the players from putting out their prize cards and they like cut to the prize game as the players are laying their prize cards. I guess it builds up like a little suspense maybe or something with the whole only prize the this. Idea. I think that's the idea, and I do kind of like that little bit of suspense because it's like, I mean, that that makes for kind of funny moments like in Salt Lake City when we were watching, I think it was Zach Cooper in top four, I want to say. Prizes where yeah he laid out one gengar it's like okay that's you know that's not that big of a deal laid out the second one is like oh that's a little awkward and then the third one goes on to the bottom <laughs> and it's like oh my gosh so it does create some cool moments i think um but i agree like it does feel like it like pulls things up a little bit sometimes for sure and it just looks awkward on stream seeing the players like like gustavo was always prepping his prize cars he's like six there waiting like that just looks awkward and like it's just like kind of like it jams up the flow, I feel like, a, a little bit. Um, and they, if they did it better, like where they cut to the prizes better, like it would be... But sometimes they would miss the layout anyways and stuff like that. So I feel like if they're not going to get, you know, be super clean with it, there's kind of no point to doing it and just kind of let them lay out the prize cards, cut to it. You'll still have that moment where you see three Gengar prize, right? Like you still see it. Yeah, definitely. You just don't, need to, you just don't <clears throat> see them laying them out. And then, um, you know, they just kind of like looked at the players from the side view sometimes too long. And we missed, I think throughout the tournament, we missed like one or two full turns, like a player's turns. We just, then we cut back. And I was like, wait, what's going on? Um, if I remember correctly. So, um, I mean, it's overall was great. Like the production value seemed ridiculous. Yeah. The big screens in the back and then uh, overall super great. I didn't listen to a whole ton of the casting because I had you guys muted while I was <laughs> talking over the gameplay myself during the stream um, for most of it. Uh, but uh, But I'm sure you guys did a wonderful job. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I casted with Ethan Hegster Heggy the whole time. Ethan did a great job. It was his first in-person tournament. And yeah, he killed it. He, he's a stud. Um, and then obviously got to watch Joe and Ross, the EU casting duo on the other side. And, um, you know, they did a great job. They, they have a great rhythm because they've done it together so much now. Yeah. Um, I think Joe is maybe one of just the best casters that we have. He's so analytical he understands the game super well obviously and does a great job at conveying what he sees and like you know future strategies to the audience in a way that's like in-depth enough for the players who understand it but then also inviting enough to people who don't know the like deep deep strategies yeah for sure for sure yeah joe's pretty good definitely so yeah it was a ton of fun the event was great uh the kind of feeling in the hall was just like excitement. Everyone was pumped to be there. Uh, it was the first internationals since February of 2020. So it's been over two years. So everyone was definitely just really pumped to be back. And the ICs just have such a unique feeling compared to any other event, almost more so even than worlds, to be honest, um, because uh, there's just there's more players in yeah. ICs compared to Worlds, right? Because 
at Worlds, you have to have qualified, whereas anyone can play in an IC. And especially, e, like, this was my first EUIC, um, but it feels like EUIC specifically is really cool because it's the easiest to get to. Like, it was a really good central location for all of the European countries. Um, so, you know, we had people from just literally every single corner of Europe and then, you know, obviously also from all of the other three regions, Oceania, uh, the U.S. and, or, sorry, North America and Latin America. And then also a few players from Japan, which uh, was yeah. pretty cool. Definitely not something I was always expecting because the Japanese players have a different tournament structure than us. I don't actually even know if the Japanese players who competed are eligible to even earn championship points because they're just not a part of that play Pokemon structure. So yeah. I don't even actually know how that works. I'm pretty sure they don't. They just come over here and like steal people, steal our championship points. But it's like it's definitely cool to see <laughs> yeah, them come but they over. Can still, and I think they can still earn money and, oh, and yeah, prizes yeah. and stuff, right? So they still get that. Um, but yeah, I think they, you know, they just love Pokemon, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so they want to come out and travel. And you know, I think they appreciate. The international aspect of these events, and it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, we had players from, I guess, moving on to the results of the events. There was 618 total players from all over the world. Is that and Just Masters? Two had players. Yeah, that's Just Masters, 618 in Masters. So I think the cap must have been like 650, 500, and then 50 for each of the additional spots, right? Yeah, I think that's what it was, yeah. So, so we, we got up to 618. So, you know, had a few no shows, people who <clears throat> canceled their trips. Uh, <clears throat> no one specifically, but, um, and yeah, so we ended up with 618. And day two actually ended up having players from all four regions and Japan. We almost didn't have anyone from Oceania, but Kaiwen made it in there. Yeah. I was the lone representative from the Oceania region from Australia making it in. I wonder how many even came over from Australia because I know a lot of them, a lot of the big names. Yeah, I'm not have. sure. So I don't think a ton. Yeah, did. I know. Nat, I don't think Natalie. Natalie didn't come. I don't think Henry was there, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't. I'm not sure if like Jordan Palmer was there. I don't think so. Yeah, I think most so. of them are like locked up for. I think the one the thing that most of them were concerned with initially was just getting the stipend. I think most of them are just kind of locked up for their <laughs> their stipend for NAIC. So they're just kind of like, all right, I guess we'll just uh, just go to our our next local regional and then just kind of you know show up to NAIC, show up to Worlds from there. Um, I think I think there's definitely a decent amount of people going to be coming to Milwaukee regionals actually, so that could be that'll be a very interesting regional for sure because it's the week before NAIC, so we'll have it'll it won't be it'll be like a mini oh, NAIC, yeah, yeah. it'll be like a mini IC almost, and it'll be cool too because it's the only U.S. regionals that will have Astral Radiance legal, oh, so yeah, it's that's the true. only one with with that set. So I think there'll be a lot of people excited for the new set because there's some pretty new car cards coming out. Um, I think leading up to that, at some point, we'll do like a little bit of like a mini review in a section of a podcast of the set, like hit on some of the key cards, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, before the set comes out, which um, is very, very soon. Before we know it, it'll be here. Yeah, it's not too far. What is it? We get it? Do we get it at the end of uh, end of May? Right, end of May. End of yeah. May. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's coming it's up. The, soon. the release weekend is the same weekend as Vancouver regionals. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <clears throat> yeah, that'll be. I mean, it's going to be interesting. There's going to be, it'll be, have we ever even had a tournament like that before where it's a regional leading into an IC with a new set? Especially a regional that'll be this big. That'll be like such a meta shift, right? Because uh, there's going to be a bunch of people who yeah. aren't going to Milwaukee who are testing decks. And there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to Milwaukee who are bringing a deck, but are they bringing their NAIC deck? Are they testing something out? Like, that'll be, that'll be mm -hmm. an in interesting meta shift. Of course, it could just be 
There's a broken deck uh, that gets played in Milwaukee, and then it's just so good no one's able to counter it in time for NAIC, and then it's just like kind of dominates both tournaments maybe. But yeah, it'll definitely be that'll, that'll yeah, be a super interesting development. There's, I don't really think there's anything that's quite like that in this new set. I mean, I think the Hisuian Samurai seems really good. Obviously, Roxanne. You know, there's crazy things that are probably going to happen with that yeah. card. I don't really know. Uh, it does scare me to think that uh, Sander is going to have access to building decks with that card. <laughs> that, that is definitely a little worrisome. It's fine. We just have to uh, all play B barrel. We'll be fine. Everyone just put the B barrel in. <laughs> right. We'll survive together. But we'll we'll talk more about that as we get closer to that set coming out. We're definitely excited for it, though. Um, but you know, getting back to EUIC and the results from the event. I guess before we talk about the specific decks that made top eight. Let's talk about the specific players that made top eight. Cause there was actually some really cool storylines in yeah. the top eight this weekend. And that's something I'm always looking at as a caster and something we're always trying to develop throughout the course of an event is like a storyline, you know, following certain players, certain archetypes, you know, round one, we had toward on the stream versus uh, Magnus Peterson, who's a, uh, world champion from the seniors division that was a really great match to watch and toward just absolutely uh blew magnus out of the water it felt like yeah toward was like yeah, it was, yeah, very, it was very apparent that it was very apparent that towards deck was like a very good call for the tournament uh, i don't think magnus was super well prepared for that and magnus was actually only one win away from making top eight so it would have been really cool if magnus had been able to make it in i think he might have squeaked into the top 16 not 100 percent sure i think he ended uh, that but i know 30 i think he ended 32 i think he would have had a swift exit from top eight if he had an urshifu again but uh <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty rough matchup but yeah i think he ended top 32 it was one of those weird winning ends where it took you all the way down unfortunately when you take the l yeah so we were you know we're always trying to do that and what i think was really cool is that a lot of the players in the top eight were players that we streamed on day one of the tournament mm -hmm. right so all players who we got to kind of see a little bit of their story in day one, we're updating people as the tournament goes on of like this player that we had on is, you know, they're at this record four rounds later. Um, so it does get to create kind of cool stories. And then obviously we streamed a lot of Urshifu really early in day one, yeah. which we were not expecting to do. We were not expecting so much Urshifu to be super popular and it's always and this is also kind of a different perspective from an ic because there's a whole team of people who are like the stream runners like the stream team uh and so this is my first time working with that so normally for the regionals uh the casters just pick every single round and stuff mm -hmm. and we still have input and stuff obviously but it's really mostly up to the the stream team the stream runners mm -hmm. um and so i definitely have to give big props to them they all did a great job picking some good matches. Many people involved there. Um, for sure, I think Ellis was probably like the main one driving, the driving force behind the the match decisions. I looked over, she showed me a, a list that she'd written out of like every single day two deck and like what players were playing. So she was really out there scoping the field out, trying to figure out, you know, are we pick, picking a unique deck this round? Are we picking, um, you know, a top player this round, you know? She, she did a great job, I think, get, getting us our stream matches and helped us really develop stories. So of the eight players in top eight, lots of cool things that we were following. Obviously, Gustavo Wada, who ended up winning the event, 
was the defending European international champion. So I think one of the few people to ever really defend a major tournament like that. We talked, I think we uh, talked about that a little bit with Bruno Sermon winning Sao Paulo regionals a couple of weeks ago. Well, uh, um, Stefan, right? Right, right. Yeah. So it, it's happened a few times, yeah. but it's, it doesn't happen very often. So yeah, yeah. Gustavo becomes the second person to defend an IC and only the third person to win multiple. So massive congratulations to Gustavo. Uh, I interviewed him on the stage after round two when he won his round two match. And he said he like felt a lot of pressure coming into this event because he was the former EUIC champion, the defending EUIC champion. And he obviously overcame that pressure since he was able to win the event. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, it was super cool to see. I guess one thing I'll mention about uh, as far as like the stream and everything that picking matches and stuff, it was really cool to actually, one thing that they did that was really nice is that during the lunch break, during the lunch break rounds, they actually held a match back. Um, yeah, yeah. And then had them on instead of like a ton of delay time. So that was super cool. I hope they keep doing that because um, I don't think the players mind too much. And yeah, they can go get their lunch, you know, during while everyone else is playing. And then they come in and they get to play and then more content for the stream. So that was actually super sick to see. Less, way less downtime. So that was nice. Um, but yeah, it seemed... yeah, I, I really uh, appreciated that as well. And I think like the goal throughout the weekend was to have as little downtime as possible. Yeah. I think that the longest will be right, like the, the will be right back timer was pretty much always a last resort. And we pretty much only used it to switch casting duos. Mm -hmm. um, there was, I think, one or two times where there was like a seven minute we'll be right back timer for like just a little bit longer of a break whenever a round ended super, super early into the round. Um, but for the most part, I think we kept it under five minutes, like at five minutes for the we'll, we'll be right back screen specifically. Um, and like every other time, there was either a casting duo on the screen talking or there was some pre-recorded content on the stream going, which I think is way better than the past of like just the little slideshow going, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, there was like five or – there was a couple of ten minutes when most of them were the five minutes, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely super cool to see Gustavo win back-to-back. -back. That was definitely – and watching his run up to that point. Um, and then, you know, uh, stuff like Frank – uh, going deep with a unique deck. It's not the first time Frank's done it at the IC. Did it in OCIC. I don't remember the year. The f second one, <laughs> I want to say. 2018, I think, yeah. Was, Garb, it was like with the carving. carving deck. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Frank does it again. Um, <clears throat> and definitely, I think... Um, that was really cool, too, because... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Go I was say, becoming less of a... Because I know Frank says this all the time, or I've seen Frank say it before, you know... Um, He's the player who builds the decks and then his friends do well with it. But definitely, sure. you know, turning the corner. Not only is Frank a, a good deck builder, but Frank's also a great player. And, you know, you know, making the step to, you know, one placement at a time become, to becoming from, a, you know, a good player and a good deck builder to a great player. Yeah, I love seeing Frank do well. Frank's a really good dude. Um, he's someone who I always enjoy talking to at tournaments. And he always loves playing rogue decks, unique things. He likes to try to find places in the format that are underexplored or underappreciated by other players and make use of them. And I think yeah. Whimsicott, you know, you actually mentioned Whimsicott last week <laughs> in the podcast as like your your sleeper pick for the tournament. Uh, and it ended up being a really solid play. Yeah, no, I was like, I mean, it seems, I was just like, it seems decent from the little that I had played with it leading up into that week. I was like, the Mew matchup's good. Um, I hadn't played against any Urshifus, but I was like, Urshifu should be okay. And then Arceus, you just hit a, a hammer heads or, you know, you can sometimes win the, pri yeah. the, the prize trade. Um, so, you know, 
it's like it just seemed solid and yeah frank took it took it all the way and there was a lot of urshifu and it seemed like it was a pretty solid matchup i think gustavo's list was maybe just like uh fortunate for gustavo to be a little bit better in the matchup than the others but frank of course it was a pretty lackluster finals on frank's side so had frank drawn just a little bit better like I even got like one game where he got a turn two attack off uh with the whimsicott we could have had like you know uh, a lot closer of a um a lot closer of a of a set for sure and then some of the other series, uh, the other um, stories that we were really looking at, obviously toward Reklev, yeah. attempting to win his fourth international championship. Uh, couldn't get past Frank, though, and uh, Frank ended up beating toward in top eight. Though it is still insane that, you know, I mean, toward I think, had probably one of the best decks for the tournament. You know, yeah. Urshifu was obviously probably the best deck for the tournament since Gustavo ended up winning with it. Um, really solid choice, and then Tord had the mana feat, so he was just prepped for the mirror matches, and Tord destroyed all of the mirror matches he played throughout the tournament, throughout day two. I think going into top eight with like a eleven oh three or something like that record, something ridiculous. Eleven oh, I guess it would be eleven. Yeah, it would be eleven oh three, right? Yeah, it was um, something. Which is just absolutely absurd. Uh, Pedro Torres trying to aim uh, to win his second. Internationals, Pedro won in Oceania in 2017 and has been a really consistent finisher at these ICs. So I know he was really happy to be in the top eight again and making it all the way to the top four. But Pedro also lost to Frank. Uh, <laughs> something that we kind of joked about is just like, you know, Frank, it was almost kind of like Frank was having to run through the Elite Four, you know, <laughs> like in the Pokemon <laughs> games, right? right? Like, you know, he has to get through Tord and then he beats Tord, has to get through Pedro. Couldn't quite beat the Pokemon champion though in Gustavo. <laughs> yeah, not quite. Got got close though. Got close though for sure. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, yeah, wasn't able to take down the third Urshifu. One of them finally got the best of him. Um, I mean, some other cool things to look at um, was you know Isaiah and Justin playing the same sixty. Two great players, obviously from uh, North America. Neither of them have won an IC. I think this might be both of their first top eights at an IC. At least for Isaiah, I'm sure Isaiah's yeah. topped top eight in multiple ICs in the senior division. Um, but both... Yeah, he won NAIC in 2018 right. in yeah, seniors. Yeah, yeah. But I've even talked to him about that before. I remember a couple of years ago saying like, no, what are you talking about? You're an IC champion. He was like, I mean, yeah, but it's different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's a big difference between masters and seniors. And so uh, Isaiah had an incredible season, uh, you know, an incredible freshman season during – 2020 you know the 2020 2020 uh or 2019 2020 season yeah uh that obviously got cut short so i was glad he's uh you know been able to pick it up and uh you know got a top eight and justin didn't really play much the last couple of years it feels like so it was cool to see him again and he you know was really dominant at the end of the 2019 2020 season right he'd yeah. won two regionals that year mm -hmm. and he obviously even though he hadn't really been playing much the last couple of years was able to pick it right back up and uh almost didn't miss a single beat yeah yeah meets the beat on tool jammer besides that was uh was uh ready okay, to go easy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, true, true, true. And then, uh, I mean, the last two players to mention that I made top eight, we had Ty with the, the Sylveon VMAX deck. And that deck almost like, it almost kind of felt like it had the same kind of idea as, I mean, Ty even played like a Peonia in the deck. It almost felt like it was kind of doing the same thing that Urshifu was deck. Just the Urshifu deck was trying to do just different, just like a bunch of different stuff to counter matchups. 
and add Arceus, I guess, instead of Intellion for a little bit more of the consistency engine. But it kind of feels similar in the terms that it just plays a bunch of stuff to counter the matchups yeah. that are popular. And uh, they did really well. Um, I think Tord actually ended up playing against Ty, and they ended up uh, tying, not IDing, but tying, I think, in the end. So Tord was able to take a game off Ty. But I saw uh, Ty smashed Nico in, like, round three or four. Um, and Nico, I mean, Nico didn't draw very well, but the Sylveon seemed like it definitely is uh, puts up quite a fight against the Urshifu for sure. The Sylveon seems uh, pretty tough for them to deal with, but uh, not impossible apparently because Tord was able to take a game with them. And then they did hit their worst matchup that they could in top eight, which was Mateus with the with the Mew and the only Mew in top eight. Um, and that was actually their first major event, which is actually really crazy as well. Yeah, super big congrats to Mateus. I mean making a your breakthrough appearance at a you know major tournament is always an exciting and a nerve-wracking thing but the fact that it was at an IC you know on the world stage pretty much against literally i mean possibly one of the best top cuts that we have ever seen right uh, with Gustavo Tord and Pedro being in there. And then obviously, you know, the other players and Isaiah, Justin and Frank, obviously all very well-known and respected players as well. But, you know, Gustavo Tord and Pedro, you're looking at <laughs> four, uh, or sorry, between the, the between the three of them, five IC wins and now six IC wins between yeah. the three of them. Yeah, definitely very, very stacked. Which is pretty wild. And something interesting too, I thought was funny. Mateus, uh, when asked on stage about why he chose to play Mew for the event, his answer was that that uh, was the deck that he had the cards for. You know, yeah. <laughs> which was pretty funny. It's like I've had these cards, uh, and this is what I came to the tournament with, so it's what I had to play. Uh, so you know, it just also goes to show that if it's, I assume that the reason Mateus has the cards is because he's been playing it for a while and is comfortable with the deck. So. Um, you know, making a choice for a deck that you are comfortable with, something you know very well, is a great way to get your first big breakthrough performance. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Definitely, uh, yeah, that's something that's all it takes, just playing like a deck you know. I mean, at the very least, you want to be doing that. Um, and ideally, you're playing the the broken deck for the, for the tournament, which it looks like this time, it felt like this time around it was Urshifu. Um, not only did it do super well in Masters, but it also took the um the seniors division championship um as well uh with caleb <clears throat> rogerson is that the last name yeah caleb rogerson yeah i'm not sure what would you know remember the name of the opponent caleb rogerson beating oh uh, yeah his name was rodrigo i that's believe that's right yes yeah rodrigo yeah that <laughs> and yeah, all and of rodrigo the was playing arceus dark arceus dark yeah, and all the finals matches were super underwhelming. None of them were good. They were all very one-sided. Caleb kind of bopped. Uh, um, Rodrigo, or was it Rodrigo? Roberto? Yeah. Roberto, Roberto. Roberto that's that's right. what it is. Roberto kind of bopped Roberto. Roberto didn't draw very well. It's a tough matchup. But, uh, yeah, Roberto kind of got bopped in that one. Uh, so shout out to Caleb for winning that. Caleb not only – I mean, Caleb also won Salt Lake City, right, which is also the um, – That's correct. The tale for the juniors division as well from Nathan, who beat uh, Luca. I want to say um, mm -hmm. Arceus and Teleon over the the Rapstrike Malamar, and Nathan also won uh, Salt Lake City Regionals in this in, in the junior division. Um, <clears throat> so those are two players that uh, are going to be scary for for seniors and masters when they both age up for sure. Yeah, it's really cool. I've actually worked with both of these players. I coached Caleb for uh, about a year and a half or so before the pandemic, and he actually won the Dallas Regional Championships at the end, uh, at the very beginning of 2020. 
And uh, Nathan, similarly, also won the Dallas Regional <laughs> Championships in 2020. Uh, they're both from my area. Uh, so I, I, it's actually just kind of an interesting perspective because I know both of them. And uh, I've coached Caleb in the past. Um, and I currently coach Nathan, actually. And Nathan won Salt Lake City as well, won this tournament. It was his first internationals that he ever played in. He didn't even go to NAIC last year or in uh, 20. Uh, 19 he started playing competitively in the 2019 2020 season yeah um where they like started going to all these big events and he's just absolutely been killing it i think he sees the game at a very high level for someone of his age and um i wasn't super i liked the deck that he chose to play for the event i always like you know want my students to pick decks that they are very familiar with and like feel comfortable with and He's been playing this deck since like a week after Brilliant Stars came out. Yeah. And he's done really well in a bunch of online tournaments with it. He obviously won Salt Lake City with it. And so he wanted to play it. I tried to talk him into including at least one Avery because I felt like it was a good inclusion, but he didn't want to give up like a research or uh, a Marnie or anything. He wanted to keep those better draw options just for the overall consistency which honestly I think is fine for the juniors division specifically just because in juniors, I think if you are a really good player and you just play a good consistent deck that you are comfortable with, you are going to do really well. Yeah, that's basically how it goes. The, <laughs> the best players in juniors and seniors is a little bit different. But yeah, the best players in juniors can literally play whatever yeah. they want. The best seniors, have. I feel like there's a little metagame going on amongst like the top seniors in like the region where like they're metagaming against each other i guess it's a little bit different now because it feels like a lot of the top seniors aren't traveling to everything because they're already kind of locked up for their day twos and their stipends and so on or a lot of them have aged up to masters um so it feels like seniors right now is like kind of like an extended juniors division um where like no one's really been playing that hard for two years and now all of a sudden they were in juniors and now they're all in seniors even though they wouldn't have been if they had you know been you know the seasons had been going on or whatever um so mm -hmm. uh, but it's definitely interesting how that's uh happened but yeah definitely uh so go ahead just while we're still on the uh, the, the sorry yeah so, <laughs> while we're still just on the topic of kind of the juniors and seniors decks I and mean, before i guess we transition into the masters decks since we're obviously going to be talking about urshifu it was five of the top eight spots in the masters division uh i want to just talk about caleb's list a little bit because it was very 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 unique compared to the other masters yeah. division lists um, because he played a really cool tech in the Rowlet, which has the Sky Circus ability, where if you played Bird Keeper from your hand during your turn, you can use Rowlet's attacks for free. And Rowlet's attack is Wind Shard. I believe it's, I think it's called Wind Shard, and it does 60 damage to any one of your opponent's Pokemon. So a really cool card to just be able to target down Sobbles, get a free prize for no energy at all. And the main reason it's in the deck is to target down Dunsparce specifically, which yeah. uh, I thought was really cool. And it's a, a pretty nice little tech. And it actually makes me wonder if we'll see more of that <laughs> moving forward in our Shifu decks because it does seem pretty solid. Yeah, it definitely seems okay. Um, I'm not, I wasn't blown away by it for the purpose of KOing Dunsparce because I feel like you already kind of bop Urshifu anyway, or bop Arceus sure, anyways sure. if they don't have Mana Fee. Um, but in general, I guess like even up against the mirror match or other matchups with Inteleon, just being able to pick off Sobbles, that feels like a little bit more beneficial, you know, in like a kind of broader meta sense. But 
Yeah, you kind of already. Yeah, bought. I mean, it lets you get a it lets you get a prize while you're yeah. attaching an energy to the Urshifu on the bench to prep for G Max Rapid Flow on the next turn. Yeah, exactly. So it it does it does kind of make sense to kind of include in the deck when you're already playing like double Bird Keeper or even just a one of Bird Keeper. You know, you can get it back. Um, or just getting that one prize card can be such a big deal. Like getting that one extra prize card ahead can completely change how you want to play out the game and how your opponent has approaching game from there as well. So uh, it definitely seems worth it instead of doing nothing for the turn to, to you know, pick up something at the very least. And now we can move on to the Masters top eight. Like I mentioned, five Rapid Strike Urshifu in top eight. When we talked about Urshifu last week, we both said that we didn't feel like it was a deck that would be very popular but we think it had the potential to do really well. And I think that was true. You know, it was not very popular as far as like the wider meta of the room, but it was really popular amongst top level players. The Limitless crew played it and a big group of American players played it. And uh, the lists were actually pretty different. And then obviously, you know, there's plenty of other people playing it out there, like outside of those two big testing groups, like Gustavo played it right. And uh, there's big differences in all of the lists quite a bit of variety but uh yeah i mean even like we thought that urshifu would do okay but i don't think anyone predicted five out of eight <laughs> like it very much <laughs> overperformed for what people's expectations were yeah that was a lot for sure i mean i wouldn't have been surprised to see like two maybe even three depending on who was playing it of course um and that's always going to be a big deal i think in these tournaments in general is just what are the top players playing because that's going to make up a majority of the the better finishing decks and even top eights most of the time and you just look at this one you have very many top notable players you know in the top eight and that's just going to be consistent throughout you know any of these major tournaments whether it be a regional or an ic or whatever it's just going to be how it goes the mm -hmm. better players win more often which is a good thing because that means that game's in like a healthy spot as far as you know the skill ceiling goes um but yeah five virtue is a lot but whatever the best players decide to bring on the day you know that's gonna usually do pretty well and a lot of the best players at that tournament brought brought the urshifu and yeah there's a lot of different takes on it um i think one of the the one that i thought was like super cool and i haven't tried it but is that the muse that isaiah and justin brought were, were really cool i don't know about the lack of snorlax but i thought the muse were pretty cool uh, for sure, just like extra, extra item cards, and then it, you can also you know put an air balloon on it, so you constantly have a pivot, which definitely helps you getting uh, getting marnied. Yeah, very commonly with the deck with Urshifu, you'll see these players playing the game very slowly, looking many turns ahead, uh, and as opposed to just going in with an assault gate or going in with a gale thrust, they'll attach an energy to a bench Pokemon and then go into Snorlax and Gormandize. Um, just set up for future turns. And Isaiah and Justin didn't have access to that play, but they were able to make more things happen on their turn because they played Mew. Yep. And I think we saw Mew used to great success by both of them. I think they were collectively on the stream three times, and then also Rahul was on stream who played the deck. Um, and, you know, we saw use of Mew in that game as well. Uh, Mew, I think, is really cool, though I do agree Snorlax... I mean, it's just good. It just lets you <laughs> kind of chill, make make plays. And Gustavo did play the Snorlax, uh, who ended up winning the tournament. And then Tord and Pedro, who were both in top eight, also played Snorlax as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely really like the Snorlax. One thing that I didn't like a whole ton, um, and is one of maybe the biggest standout card in any of them, is the Eldegoss that Pedro played. Um, you know, I get the the idea behind it. I think it's probably really really good in the the Mew matchup. But um, that was a, that was a, oh, I, I just felt weird. It felt like a high maintenance to include the Eldegoss in the deck. You know, having to commit like level balls and quick balls to find that over finding like Sobbles and Drizziles feels 
feels like a lot but i think i guess like another thing past that was like i think how different gustavo's list was compared to the rest because i feel like all the other ones are a little bit more similar but gustavo like didn't play a lot of the tricks that the other ones played as well like no quick shooting no meta champ and then actually played other v pokemon besides the urshifu um it almost felt like gustavo's was the most prepared for it just felt like I don't want to say the most refined, but it almost feels like it because it, it was so different from the other ones. It almost felt like it was more refined than the other lists. But of course, it's hard to really tell um, what the mindset was behind, you know, why Gustavo included those cards and didn't include the other cards. But uh, it definitely felt like, uh, at least at the very least, probably has a stronger Mew matchup with those options, especially with the Moltres V. But yeah, Gustavo's list felt it felt more refined when when I looked at him. Yeah, I think the Moltres just gives you more maneuverability in you know, whatever matchup, right? It gives you just a different two-prize attacking option because the way that the other lists are built, it's like you're pretty much playing to Urshifu always yeah. uh, or in, or to the regular Galarian Moltres, right? And yeah. if you're relying on just attacking with Galarian Moltres, a lot of times you're just like not doing much in the early <laughs> game, um, which can be okay, but what the Galarian Moltres V does for you is it allows you to put on more pressure you can take two prize KOs on, you know, things like um, things like the uh, Crobats or Luminion or like whatever else your opponent may be playing anything with, two, uh, you know, 190 or less. Um, and then also it gives up two prize cards, which helps you get to your Galarian Moltres a lot quicker. So giving up more prizes seems like it would be bad, but in this instance, it actually helps you get to the strongest attacker in your deck much quicker. Yeah, it stops your opponent from kind of like picking on your Sobbles and Drizzles too aggressively. Yeah, true. Sure. Protects them. Yeah, because if you're not doing anything during the game, that's what they can do. They can try to pick on your your Sobbles and stuff and or, or on your Drizzles so you don't have access to Shady Dealings in Tellian. Um, and then one other card that was definitely interesting in Gustavo's list is the Peers. And Gustavo made like excellent use yeah. of the Peers throughout the weekend. Every single one of his stream game games like peers got played it felt like <laughs> <laughs> which is a supporter that lets you search your deck for a dark pokemon and an energy card so it can get you the basic fighting out of the deck if you want to gale thrust that turn it can get you the you know basic dark to get in the discard pile for your galarian moltres v or it can get you the galarian moltres v of course or it can get you the crobat that gustavo played which i think is also a card that no one else had right the crobat yeah. v in order to uh, draw more cards so peers became a utility support card and then also kind of a draw card by being able to grab the crowbat out of the deck yeah no the pierce was the pierce was pretty sick and it was actually interesting that's like a one thing across all of them was uh i mean toward and pedro still played the artillery but um you know gustavo and isaiah and justin did not play the artillery but gustavo still had a way to find the rapid strike energy in the, in yes. the peers whereas uh, Isaiah and Justin, they either had to draw into it or had to Raihan into it. And it seemed like it didn't hurt them right. too much, but you know what? It, it probably did hurt them in the mirror matches, I would imagine, having no way to find your Rapid Strike energy. If you just the person yeah. who's going to fall behind on the GMAX Rapid Flow trade, like if, I mean, I'm sure that was definitely an advantage for Pedro up against uh, up against Bradner, which is like, you're more often going to GMAX Rapid Flow first. So you GMAX Rapid Flow, they GMAX Rapid Flow, and then you Raihan GMAX Rapid Flow, and then they're just out of drizzles and sobbles right and they're just all done and they have no more left and then and then you're just behind and they still have potentially drizzles and sobbles to work with as well so um some way to find the rapture energy definitely seems good but it, i mean it definitely didn't hurt doesn't seem like it hurt uh 
Justin and Isaiah too much, but it's definitely very interesting to see the differences in some of these lists. Another one is like Hoopa wasn't in all the lists. Uh, Gustavo didn't play Hoopa. Um, I think everyone else was. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Isaiah and Justin played Hoopa, but yeah, it's it's definitely interesting to see I the think differences. They did, yeah. Um, and um, definitely a lot to like figure out and test because I haven't put a whole ton of time in with uh, any of these decks. So uh, or or this deck in general, the the Urshifu dark stuff. So a lot of stuff to take away from this tournament specifically because I mean not all five of the lists, but um, you know at least three of them were were pretty different um, for sure. Yeah, and one other, I guess, kind of more unique card in Gustavo's list was the Energy Retrieval, Yeah, which is not something that really many other people have been playing, um, which is, it's a cool card because it allows you to play boss's orders and get energy back for your Moltres, right? Yeah. Whereas you can't do that with other lists to get back energy because you're having to play the Clara to get back the energy. So you're having to use your supporter on that. You can't use it on something like a boss or um you know whatever else you know whatever other plays you wanted to make like you know a peers play or something like that so definitely yeah. kind of a cool one uh and then Tord had the manaphy Tord was packing the manaphy that was definitely the unique thing in Tord's deck and that i think was the reason that Tord went undefeated throughout the event until top eight because there was so much urshifu at the top tables and Tord just slaughtered the mirror match with Manaphy because yep. he had it and they didn't. Yeah, I mean, Tord beat Gustavo, beat Justin, but was also, the, unfortunately for Tord, the first Urshifu to hit Frank in top eight and be swiftly <laughs> taken out um, by Frank. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, had the Manaphy. So, like, if, if Tord just only had hit other Urshifus or pre- basically probably anything else in cut, Tord's in a super good spot to um, to go very deep because the Manaphy's a huge... If you just... If you're getting G-Max Rapid Flow in the mirror and you can't G-Max Rapid Flow, especially with how many, like, how limited of resources the deck actually has overall, it's very hard to, like, play a sustained, uh, um, like, war of a war of attrition in that one when, when you can't G-Max Rapid Flow and your opponent can because you're both sitting there and probably Sherilyn, but, you know, every other turn they're taking two prize cards, right? And they're limiting your outs to your your resources. So um, definitely a huge advantage for Tord in the mirror match. And, yeah, like, yeah, took out Gustavo, took out Justin. Probably would have taken, taken them out again if you had uh, hit him and cut. Yeah, definitely. And that was actually something Tord chose to do. So in round number 14, Tord could have intentionally drawn with Justin. Uh, You know, he was guaranteed to be first seed regardless. Yeah. But there was three players who were going to be IDing to 32 match points. And the three players were going to be at 32, which meant these were the only players that could possibly have been the eighth seed, were Ty with the Sylveon, Mateus with Mew, and... um, and uh, Frank with Whimsicott, all three matchups that I don't know that Tord was pumped to be playing against. I think like, yeah. you can do fine. You can do fine against Mew, obviously, um, but Whimsicott, you know, doesn't feel like the most fun to play against as Urshifu. And then also Sylveon, I think, is probably the harder, well, e- even harder potentially, just because the Sylveon has so much HP and just you know can hit through your Urshifu's really efficiently. And Ty also had uh, Urshifu. Uh, as an option as well, which I guess doesn't matter as much against Tord since Tord had the mana fee, but, um, but yeah, so, so Tord made the decision to play in round 14 and try to beat Justin to put Justin at 32 match points so that he had a chance to play Justin in top eight, since it was obviously a matchup that he was comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, fortunately for Tord did not work out how they wanted and ended up hitting, uh, 
Frank in the top eight. Was not able to dodge the Psychic Monty. I feel like Sylveon was probably the hardest of the matchups as well for the Urshifu deck. I feel like Sylveon was the... Maybe maybe Frank's deck if it, if it you know, because that turn to attack is just as bad. But um, Mew is definitely the one that they were all prepared for and were comfortable with hitting for sure. So um, toward, toward to miss the 50-50 on that one, I guess, uh, this time around. Um, but yeah, that's the that's the Urshifus, five of them, all playing different lists. A lot of stuff for a lot of people to try out, whether that be to prepare. And that's one of the, almost the scarier thing is like preparing against Urshifu. Like what lists, do you, what, what do you assume they have when you go up against <laughs> yeah. them in Indiana? Like you're going to be like, oh, uh, do you they can assume nothing. You yeah. can assume nothing. <laughs> <laughs> do they play Metacham? Do they play quick shooting? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that is definitely going to be <laughs> an interesting dynamic here. And then also, like, how do people combine the lists, right? Like, if you yeah. see Moltres V, does that instantly mean there's no Metacham? Not necessarily. If you see Crobat, does that instantly mean that there's, you know, the the peers in the, the Gloria Moltres V? Not necessarily. So uh, that's one of the fun things of IRL tournaments is just, like, you know, you don't really know what you're going to get hit yeah. with. <laughs> you don't know what your opponent's going to be packing. And speaking of not knowing what your opponent's going to be packing, the, uh, the top four Mew lists, had some pretty interesting cards in it. So it did, yeah. we already talked about Mateus, obviously, you know, making a deep run at his first major event. Congratulations to Mateus. Very, very cool. But was playing the Pumpkaboo with its Pumpkin Pit ability, which allows you to discard a stadium card from play. Very good answer, uh, in theory, right, to Path to the Peak, since now all of your Quick Balls and all of your Ultra Balls become outs to the Pumpkaboo. Yeah, no, it's definitely, I think, uh, I've, I've been trying to test it a little bit in Mew recently. Um, it's solid with the scoop-up net. I feel like it, like, I feel like that's kind of the package you want to play. If you play Punkable, I almost feel like you want to play the, the scoop-up net. Because the scoop-up net also acts as, like, a switch card to reset Technoblast um, as well. Yeah. So it's not, like, a dead card if you're not picking up Punkaboo. Um, and you can always play it at any point to reset a Meloetta or an Oracorio and just draw more cards with Genesect as well. So the scoop net is, like, not something that's going to break up your hand too often. Um, and yeah, it can be kind of come as like a, that's what I've been doing. I've been cutting a switch card for scoop up net when I've been trying it out. I'm not thrilled with it overall. Um, but I think it's like a solid choice, but I feel like the meta is shifting away from path to the peak. So I think it was probably a decent right. idea right. to include for EYC, but I think it's going to be less relevant. You probably just want to go back to your three or maybe probably three stadiums to be honest. You don't even think you need four. Um, because there's just less path. People got to deal with Urshifu. We don't got time to path Muse. We got to, like, you know, hope our two bat paths do it. And if they don't, oh, well, we got to put some mana fees and some Dunsparce in our deck or something because Urshifu is, uh, I think, enemy enemy number one, threat number one right now in the in the meta. And then also no Marnie. No Marnie in the list as well, which is definitely, I think, a, a really was a really good play to play going into UIC. I had been testing out a lot in Mew going into UIC, and I think I would have definitely rocked one if I had played Mew, um, you know, come tournament day because I think, like, a lot of decks, like, we just kind of, saw, like, like, and that's what we saw with the Urshifu decks, a lot of decks are just playing for the fact that, you know, you can't disrupt your hand at all. And then that's where Marnie yep. comes in to kind of, uh, you know, shake things up. Yeah, the Marnie is super good against the Urshifu decks because they just try to build a massive hand and play to the, you know, big Galarian Moltres plays at the end of the game. So by playing Marnie, you can disrupt them. And also it becomes a nice card against Path of the Peak because it's a supporter card you can play to help you see a new hand, yeah. to help you dig for a switching card or a stadium, whatever you might need. So I, I think that Marnie was definitely popping up in a good amount of Mew lists leading up to this event, I feel like. Um, and there were a lot of players that had the card. Like I think Gabe Smart, who ended up in top 32, was playing the Marnie. So I definitely think it was yeah. a really good 
card to have in your Mew deck for this event. Uh, but yeah, Mateus's list was really cool. Something else about the scoop of net that I thought uh, was a really cool play that you can have access to since you have the card in your deck. Um, and this is actually something we saw from Mateus on the stream is against the Urshifu decks, one of the plays that they will go for is they will try to, or like sometimes go for it. It doesn't always work out like this, obviously, but yeah. if you put Oracorio in play and they use Hoopa's Assault Gate to do 70 damage to either the Oracorio or a Meloetta, it leaves it with 20 HP, which makes it a target for Yoga Loop. So something that Mateus did in the streamed match against Urshifu was actively kept the scoop up net in hand, had opportunities to just burn it to draw more cards, but chose to hold on to it because whenever, I think it was Justin that he was playing against, right? Yeah. Justin went for the assault gate into a one prizer and Mateus scoop up netted it. So now Justin didn't have access to the yoga loop play. So that's another kind of cute thing you can do with the scoop of net, obviously not in the deck for that specific uh, scenario, but you know, that's definitely kind of a niche thing that can come up and makes, uh, it makes for good use of the card. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely another, like, niche situation to utilize it in. Um, and then maybe, I th and I think the biggest surprise, definitely, of, of the top eight, or the most unpredictable unpredictable deck that made top eight, was the Sylveon. It was more of, like, a rapid strike. It's like a box. Like I said, it's, it feels similar to what the Urshifu deck's trying to do, where it's just like, I'm going to build this deck to literally counter all the decks in the meta. It feels si similar to what Ty did with Sylveon. Where it's like, and it, and it's like the lines are super thin in that deck as well because it was one of the biggest things when we saw Robin win Liverpool uh, with the Urshifu Moltres deck. It's like, well, there's so many one ofs in here, and then you know Ty's deck wasn't that far off. You know, there's a bunch of two one, there's a two one Urshifu V Max line, two one Sylveon, uh, two two Arceus, I believe. There's a Peony in there. Mm -hmm. There's like a one of fan of waves, three battle VIP pass. Like, there's a bunch of stuff in the deck, and definitely the biggest surprise to me that made cut. Um, but I think one of the things that helped it is it probably that it has probably a solid Urshifu matchup because Sylveon is just really hard for the for Urshifu to deal with. Yeah, I think it does have a solid Urshifu matchup on paper. Big props to Ty. I always love seeing someone come in with a super unique deck like that and doing really well. Um, so yeah, that was really, really cool. Ty, I believe this was also, you know, their first big tournament finish. So uh, congrats to them on that because... You know, making a deep run with a deck that you are a big fan of. And I think that's actually something Ty said in their winner's interview after one of their stream games was like, yeah, I just love this deck. <laughs> this is like a deck <laughs> I've been playing for a while. I'm a big fan of it. And so it was just kind of the natural choice for the tournament for them. And they made top eight. So huge props. Congratulations. Love to see it. I don't know how prevalent this deck will be or even should be in the meta moving forward this could be like a little bit of a one-off but it's definitely not a bad deck by any means i don't know that it's really gonna become a mainstay though as something that you should prep against leading into tournaments no i definitely won't i don't think definitely something you don't have to worry about if it did well again i wouldn't be like ridiculously surprised as ridiculously surprised because the deck's proven that it can keep up with most decks uh one thing that might become more of a mainstay is the whimsicott though because there's yeah. been there and there's been some results with this deck before EYC in in online tournaments quite a bit. Shout out to uh uh Thomas Harvey who's like constantly placing in online tournaments with Whimsicott B Barrel. Um that's like I see them all the time in top cuts in online events. So this deck has been, you know, building up steam headed into UIC and then you know Frank pulls it out, pulls out their build and you know makes the finals, which is going definitely going to put a bigger spotlight on it than the online tournament placements of course, but um 
I think now it's got uh you know it's got the got the fire behind it to actually push to become maybe not like a popular meta deck, but I think it's a deck you probably don't want to take like a hard auto loss to anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think if your deck has a bad matchup to Whimsicott naturally, you need to reconsider playing that deck or reconsider how you've built the deck because uh, it is definitely something that, you know, you should expect to face at some point in one of these major tournaments now that it's done well, now that it's a known quantity. And there's a lot to like about this deck. You know, its matchups are pretty cut and dry, right? If your opponent is playing a lot of special energies and you can draw into the pieces to get up your lock quickly, you're going to do really well. Um, but other than that, like, the deck is just kind of straightforward. And I think that would be kind of my one thing that I don't love about it is that there's not a lot of room for you to make plays as opposed to something like rapid strike urshifu where your skill as a player is you know the backbone of the deck because if you make a mistake uh on like turn two it can affect what happens to your game in turn six right yeah whereas whimsicott it's like i need to get down a whimsicott and put an energy on it and then i pass <laughs> and repeat and for... <laughs> then i need to play research and find another energy evolution <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think the biggest skill with the deck is uh the biggest thing you need to understand with that is when to v-star power because i think we definitely saw there were sure. some opportunities for frank to i think t have taken advantage of even in the finals like some earlier v-star power yeah. especially to pressure the mall trace because the mall trace was such a problem when it did get into the active and start swinging and actually uh, whimsicott actually just won the most recent late night tournament um that happened tonight uh going 13 3 and 1 so yeah i mean it's out there and that was like 200 almost 300 players in that tournament i think so yeah it's, it's out there and it's 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 making waves so um and it was the third most popular deck in the tournament so yeah people are definitely wanting to try it at the very least uh and yeah gonna be definitely a lot more played yeah there's not as much skill expression with the deck it kind of just takes advantage of the meta and if the meta drastically shifts right. whimsicott will fall off if the decks can't still be taken advantage of but in the current meta it's good against Mew. It's it's solid against Arceus, I want to say. If they get off that first, what's it called, before you slow them down for a turn, the first uh, Trinity Nova before you can slow them down for like a turn, you're probably in a bad spot. But I, I feel like it goes about 50-50 in that matchup most of the time. That's all you need um, in some matchups. And the Urshifu matchup seems good sometimes, but other times it seems like it might not be so good. Maybe a little bit more to test out there for the Whimsicott and see if Maltrace V really is kind of too much for it to handle. So that's something for the Whimsicott players to test out. Um, but overall, solid deck, and I definitely expect way more of it moving forwards for sure, because before there was kind of none of it. So now, I mean, way more, you know, maybe from 5 to 10 or whatever, but we're going to be an increased yeah, amount for I, sure. I think the fact that um, Frank was able to beat both Tord and Pedro in cut is proof that it has a good Urshifu matchup, right? Because Tord and Pedro are players who are going to be aware of their outs, of like the way that they need to play certain things. Like they definitely had been thinking about their, the uh, the Whimsicott matchup for their deck leading into cut, and you know Frank was still able to come out on top. Yeah, Gustavo's deck I think was a little bit more well equipped to handle it. Frank just drew really poorly in the finals as well. Oh, yeah. I would have really been interested to see how it would have played out if Frank had drawn normally. Yeah, if Frank like a... had been able to get off a, a turn two trick yeah. win, like. Was the Moltres V that Gustavo played enough to, you know, kind of combat the onslaught of Whimsicott early? Yeah, because there's also four Marnie, or I think there's three, three Marnie and Frank's deck, but also the Avery's, so. which can yeah. be a little bit disruptive if they go for a keep calling or just fill yeah. up their bench. Yeah. But yeah, heavy Marnie decks is something that the Urshifu deck is currently taking advantage of in the meta, or lack of heavy Marnie decks is something that Urshifu is currently taking advantage of in the meta for sure. They play so many one ofs, 
you know, they burn their first hint against Ambition or their research, you Marnie them, they have no heavy draw supporter for the rest of the game to kind of build up a big hand to then just kind of work off of the rest of the game. Uh, you can really keep the pressure on them with the Marnies whenever they get any kind of setup in their hand going. So yeah, that's kind of one of the things that are definitely taking advantage right now. That there's a lack of decks that play a lot of Marnie. So uh, if we get more of those in the meta, it's definitely going to also hurt Urshifu as well. Um, I guess the biggest surprise that didn't make cut was a lack of a dedicated Arceus deck. But yeah, there's a lot of Urshifu, and it feels like a lot of people aren't on that Manaphy plus Dunsparce you know, train yet. Although there was one that made top 16 that did play Manaphy and Dunsparce, so maybe that's why they, they did so, so well overall as far as Arceus decks go. Yeah, I think that Manaphy is probably just something you have to play in an Arceus deck now. Dunsparce is not enough, and Urshifu is now a much more known quantity. It's going to be way more popular than it has been. Um, you know, it still wasn't that popular at this event, despite having five finishes. It just, you know, was proven that, you know, the group of good players who played it, you know, hit the right matchups and played it well enough and tested the deck well enough to know that they could, you know, take it all the way. And, um, yeah, but moving forward, like in Indy and even in the Latin American regionals, I would expect Urshifu to be much, much, much more widely played. And you definitely need to have a game plan against it with whatever deck you bring. Oh, yeah, and I think that was probably true for EUIC if you've been able to make that call, but it was definitely a... I don't know if it was that hard of a call, call to make because I think if it's one of those situations where it's like you know some good players are going to be playing it and more good players will be playing it because of what happened at Liverpool. Um, if you if your goal is to win the tournament, you probably have to go through Urshifu, to be honest, if you had sat there and thought about it really, really hard um, about going into EUIC. Yeah. But now, definitely outside of, you know, just trying to beat that one good player in top eight, potentially, you're going to have to beat a couple in Swiss now probably going into this not next weekend, but the two weekends from now of regionals, right? You're going to be have to look at going to go through multiple Urshifus, uh, maybe day one and day two. So definitely got to gotta be prepared for it. Put your Manaphy's in, start testing stuff. See if it even beats it. What if Manaphy doesn't even work? What if you're still losing? <laughs> two Manaphy, three yeah, Manaphy, true. get them in there. Um, <laughs> okay, well, calm down there. <laughs> I got to imagine, get out of hand. <laughs> uh, once you start benching Manaphy and maybe even Dunsparce, that Avery's going to come through and, and wreak havoc on your bench still for sure. So... I, that is true. I don't even know if it's gonna if it if it is enough. I guess that'll one something we'll have to uh you know see. And uh that's what people are gonna have to test out. Is is uh is the Manaphy enough to kind of deal with Urshifu or is the deck maybe just that good? Yeah, and I think like Arceus decks can also um you know play other things, right? Like the darkness type Arceus deck, Hoopa V is super good against Urshifu because it's got a lot of HP as a basic and yeah. you know if you're playing dark energies for like your crobat vmax potentially or whatever uh you know it can also be a solid option in the mu matchup so you know it's kind of just a two-dimensional card where it's got uses in multiple places and yeah urshifu has a hard time dealing with it for sure uh the one thing i'll say about it is like you can't like power it up out of nowhere so because of that, it makes it a little tougher because the Urshifu can always like prep for it or like, you know, be mindful of when the Hoopa is going to come in and try to soften it up early. But yeah, I mean, if you're playing against someone like Gustavo, who doesn't have quick shooting Intellian, uh, it's going to be really difficult to deal with that, that Hoopa. Yeah, the Hoopa V is a threat. Yeah, there's, there's probably a bunch of other stuff out there that works pretty well as well. Maybe some other psychic attackers you could... Yeah, that Granbull V. That's a card I've <laughs> talked to you about before. <laughs> no shot. There's got to be something better than Granbull V. It hits itself, bro. It's softening itself up for the Urshifu. Oh, so does Moltres. Like, I mean, come on. It's like, you know, it's fine. All right. 
Uh, I guess the last deck we should mention probably is Sander's deck, of course. One of the uh, everyone's always excited to see what Sander plays, I think, and had a really cool uh, Umbreon, like infinite loop healing wall stall deck, like kind of like a Whale Lord deck almost. To be honest, it kind of felt like if you're going to compare it to like mm -hmm. some like previous wall stalls, uh, but you could win on prize cards because you're attacking with Eldegoss to recover your Birdkeeper or your your Cheryl. Uh, and the way the strategy for the deck kind of works is you have to set up two Umbreon V Maxes. I know it's weird to say, but you're not, you actually are attacking with them sometimes because they did include uh, single strike energy. And I think that's probably how the Mew VMAX matchup probably went sometimes, is you'd actually attack with your Umbreon. Maybe there's other matchups as well. But the general, the coolest part of the deck, which doesn't involve attacking with Umbreon, is you get some, you get a Sun and Moon badge down on one of your Umbreons, and you get an Air Balloon down on one of your other Umbreon VMAXs, and then you send up your Eldegoss. And you get a supporter back, like a Bird Keeper or a Cheryl, and you can heal your Umbreons, or you can grab the Bird Keeper, so that way when you put your Eldegoss back in your deck, and then you send up an Umbreon, let's say, with the um, uh, with the Sun and Moon Badge, your opponent hits it, and then you, you know, get your Eldegoss uh, out of the deck by top-decking it. Or if you don't top-deck it, you can use Puku Muku to then draw into it after that. And then use Eldegoss, put it on the bench, get back Cheryl, Bird Keeper, in, or you have the Bird Keeper out of the hand, you can Bird Keeper into your Eldegoss, Draw your Eldegoss. Birdkeeper into your other Umbreon. Draw your Eldegoss. Eldegoss gets a Cheryl. You put the Eldegoss back in your deck. And then on the next turn, they hit the other Umbreon. And then you Cheryl both your Umbreons. And then you Eldegoss for a Birdkeeper once again. And you repeat this until your opponent scoops. They deck out. You run out of time and you tie. Uh, or you draw six prize cards. So super cool deck. Um, I know Sander had like talked about this before the set had even released with the uh, DTE. And finally brought it to a tournament. Did not get the top eight that I would have predicted Sander would have ended up with, but still a solid finish overall and, a, you know, did really well with another really, really cool deck. Yeah, I think that maybe one of the downsides, I feel like Sander even said the Mew matchup, if you start an Umbreon V, a two-prizer, uh, the Mew matchup is, like, not the best. But if you yeah. start a one-prizer, like, Mew matchup, Mew is great, right? It's a very good matchup. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, them getting that that those two prizes really quickly just makes it tough for your deck uh because this deck doesn't it, it sets up it's kind of infinite over the course of a few turns at the beginning of the game where you get into a position where your opponent can never take a one-hit ko on the umbreon so yeah it was really cool uh obviously utilizing cards that nobody is ever thinking about <laughs> right the sun and moon badge uh you know love to see stuff like that sanders uh definitely become one of my favorite players to you know, follow and watch what they choose to come up with for events um, because he just he sees the game in such a different way from anyone else, it feels like right now, where uh, is always analyzing the meta and exactly what counts of lists are popular and how you can really take advantage of that because if you know what people most likely are going to have in their deck, you can, you know, abuse that knowledge to, um, you know, in the ways that you play and in the ways that you build your deck to run them out of those resources if you know that what their counts are. Yeah, yeah. And I actually think uh, that the way you kind of broke it down, the player that uh, I think has the same kind of mindset and looks at the game similar to that is uh, Isaiah Williams, actually. When he would ever, like, try and build decks, especially around control decks, there would always be so many one-ofs and we'd, when I would test with him and we worked as our group, we'd always be like, what if you prize this? What if you prize that? He's like, no, you have this or you have that. Um, it's actually, the way you broke that down reminds me of uh, Isaiah. But yeah, Sander definitely <laughs> the only player in the game currently uh, who who does kind of like look at and kind of build decks in that way from 
who at least exceeds at it, I guess, as well. That's a big thing as well. Because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of players out there who are trying some some wonky stuff, but Sander takes it to the next level because not only does Sander bring the wonk, but also gets the dubs as well. So, um, Yeah, and Stefan Erickson, I believe, also played the deck and yeah. got top 64 with it, finished in day two as well. So, uh, you know, there's a couple people out there with the deck. It definitely seems solid. And it makes, I mean, now that the kind of lock is not the lock but like the loot is out there and um it's like a known quantity what the deck is like you know sander had a great stream game against an arceus deck so you can really see you know optimal decision making with the deck if you want to go watch that stream game because uh you know i think it was a great display of how the deck is meant to function right yeah um it makes me wonder if we will see more of it <laughs> leading into indie you know it's uh definitely something that with enough practice you know someone could pick up and do well with it it seems much less complicated of a lock than something like you know his last control deck right yeah definitely no i think we'll definitely see more people playing with it and if you guys want to watch it uh, the round is actually up on my youtube channel as well gg you can check it out over there um i cut up the the round and put on the youtube channel where i react to the the loop and yeah it was super cool to see and now there's also a bunch of other like you just have to go watch it. Like it's not just that. There's a bunch of other stuff in that that makes the deck work. So I definitely recommend, you know, maybe getting the sure. list list off their Twitter. Uh at Sanders something. I actually don't know the Twitter off the top of my head. <laughs> go check out Sanders Twitter, steal the list, but then also if you want to watch the gameplay from it, you know, it's on the on my YouTube channel, so you can check it out there. Um but I think it's time to move on to everyone's favorite segment chip. And uh everyone's <laughs> favorite segment. That's right. Guess that flavor text. And this actually where one of us prepares. Yeah, what's up? Go ahead. Instead of going to EUIC, that's what actually I've been training for this moment all week. This is why I actually didn't go to yeah, EUIC. So I can extend so I can extend Stop. my lead. Stop. Uh, <laughs> Stop. All right, hit me with the chip. There's no shot you're gonna get this one. So the idea of this segment is that one of us each week will Come to the other with the flavor text bit at the bottom of a Pokemon card, which is also usually a Pokedex entry, and read it out, and the other person has to guess what the Pokemon is. And so uh, this week's card, are you ready, Azul? I'm ready. All right. With sly cunning, it tries to lure people into the woods. Some believe it to have the power to make crops grow. Oh man, I think I actually know. Like, I think I know this one, but I can't. I think there's no way that you know this one. I think I, I've heard this one before, so I don't know why. I don't believe. I you. don't know why, but I'm thinking of Trevenant. Um, that's the thing that's in my head. But crops. Um, now I'm thinking of Cactern for some reason. Like Cactern, Cactern's not a crop. I'm trying to think of like wheat, but uh, so with slide. Read it to me again. Give me it one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With sly cunning, it tries to lure people into the woods. Some believe it to have the power to make crops grow. <laughs> With sly cunning. So when you say sly and cunning, I think of Sneasel or Weavile, but I don't think they're growing crops. Is there a crop Pokemon is what I'm thinking. I'm trying to think about like vegetables. Is there any Pokemon that look like vegetables? Um... I can't think of a Pokemon that looks like a vegetable, but I feel like it has nothing to do with that. Um, hey, I think we need okay. to guess. Okay, now I'm thinking of Punkaboo because it's a pumpkin, so I'm going to go with Punkaboo. <laughs> oh, a last second change, and it didn't matter because none of your guesses were correct. <laughs> the correct answer is 
Morgrim. Who? Oh, the... <laughs> the middle evolution of Grim Snarl and oh. Impidimp. Morgrim. That thing has yes, nothing to do with Force or Cross. Uh, this, this card comes from Fusion Strike. The single strike version. With Sly Cutting, it tries to lure people into the woods, and some believe it to have the power to make crops grow. Uh, and I definitely have to say that Morgrim looks like someone who would try to lure you into the woods. So <laughs> and make your crops stay grow. <laughs> away from, stay, stay away from Morgrim, kids. It's uh, yeah, not a good idea. All right. Well, I wasn't able to extend my lead, but that's fine. You'll have uh, a chance to miss next week. But let's move on to wrapping up. Uh, the last thing we're going to talk about is, uh, you know, where does the meta go from here? Um, uh, especially moving towards not next weekend, but the weekend after we've got Indie Regionals and that uh, Regionals yep. in Latin America. Um, I think the biggest thing is just like, where does Urshifu stand? And I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, the answer to that is just like, does Manaphy actually counter it? I think is the, the real question. Because if it doesn't, what beats Urshifu? Yeah, I think it's like a TBD type of thing. You need to test it out. Um, and I'm sure someone will come up with a list that uh, is really good into the expected meta and also plays Manaphy. Um, because Manaphy is just, it is just good against Urshifu. Yeah. It's really good against Urshifu. Um, but, you know, like, you're not going to play Manaphy in your Mew deck, right? Because Urshifu doesn't even, you know, use Urshifu <laughs> in that <laughs> matchup. Um, you know, and it's like, does Manaphy even fix the matchup as an Arceus deck, or is it still just too tough? Um, you know, obviously it doesn't help you as Jolteon because you're weak to fighting. So, I think Manaphy as a card is good against Urshifu, but where does it fit the best? And that's, I think, the thing that needs to be determined. Yeah, I mean, I think Arceus decks, even if it doesn't fix the matchup and it's still tough, Arceus decks like, have to play Manaphy now, I feel like. Because mm -hmm. um, you just give yeah. up too many prize cards too fast. You're weak to fighting. And even if they're not one-hit KOing you, they're punching you, they're, they're KOing your Dunsparce. Like, you need to protect the Dunsparce or just, like, protect your bench or something. You just need to do something. I mean, I think in, in and Arceus honestly, decks, like for sure what if we're in a position where like the deck to play is just towards deck, right? You just play rapid strike Urshifu with Manaphy. Is that where we're <laughs> at right now? Because the deck is obviously incredibly powerful. Um, so if you just have that card to beat the mirror, is that the deck to play? I mean, I think all the Urshifu, I think if you play Urshifu, you have to play Manaphy. Like, I think you're trying to beat the mirror at this point. Like, I don't think you're going to, I think you're just going to go the route that Tor took and be like, I'm going to play this deck. All my other matchups are comfortable. I think other good players will play this deck. Um, uh, so I'm going to play the Manaphy myself so I just win the mirror. And I think everyone's going to do that. And then it's going to become kind of a weird Avery off, I think, because I don't know if you're going to yeah. cut. The Avery is so good in the mirror match. It's so good up against decks that are going to try and be playing Manaphy because you cut their bench. Um, so you're going to have this weird Avery off in the mirror where you're just going to be taking – you're not going to be taking prize cards, but you're cutting through the resources so heavily and they're going to be trying to keep the Manaphy on their bench. Like what do you even have left on your bench at that point? You got to hold like a, a Sobble and an Octillery or something? Like – um, the mirror match is definitely not a matchup I want to play if everyone's playing Manaphy, um, for sure. Um, but also, yeah. Urshifu just might, they might, what might happen is the, the, the Manaphy's get added, but then Urshifu, what if Urshifu just has a solution for Manaphy? Um, and then they just get to add that, and then they're still right where they are. Um, but maybe it won't be able to be found out before, you know, Indie Regionals. Yeah, I'm interested to see how the meta will develop and, Kind of a, I guess, a question that we should answer is, 
should Urshifu VMAX be considered a tier one deck? And I think to me right now, the answer is yes, for sure. Yeah, I think so. I don't see any reason not to put it up there with the rest of them. It was a little bit iffy, I think, after Liverpool. And maybe if I had personally like played more with the deck, because I don't put like any games in with the deck after Liverpool and it became a deck, I didn't really put any games in with the deck, so I didn't really have an opinion on it. Um, but I think if I had, I would have been like, okay, this is just really good. And yeah, it's, it's a tier one deck. Uh, for sure, and then I think I think it's it is possible that I think Manaphy takes it off that, and it is maybe one of those decks where it's like when people are playing Manaphy heavily and are like prepared for Urshifu, it's not good, but when people aren't, it is good, um, because the meta hasn't developed to the point where it's like okay, does Manaphy answer Urshifu? We just don't know yet, right? No one was playing Manaphy, or very few people are playing Manaphy at uh, EYC, but as soon as they are, um, is Urshifu in trouble? And if it is, then maybe it just falls off again, right? And it just becomes an irrelevant deck until maybe people stop playing Manaphy or maybe it doesn't have its chance to come back into the meta before it shifts with the set release or rotation or whatever, right? So um, yeah. lots to be lots to be tested right now. And I guess another question would be, uh, where does Mew sit right now? Because right, like most of the Urshifu lists, I think we're pretty well equipped for the Mew matchup, even though Mew can still win. Um, it feels like... You know, it, they're, they're ready for it. So is Mew in a healthy spot? Is Mew still BDIF? Which is what everyone has still adamantly been saying up to this point. And I don't know that we really should be considering Mew the BDIF right now. Yeah, I think it depends on Manaphy, to be honest. If Manaphy does counter Urshifu and, like, pushes it off, like, like, like if Urshifu just can't compete if people are playing Manaphy, then I think Mew is still the BDIF, right? Because I don't think Mew's not competing just because Urshifu... Uh, just because Manaphy gets added to decks, right? It makes everything better for Mew. Um, so I think that's the biggest question. So I would say it's probably tier one alongside Urshifu for now, but, uh, you know, the 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 jury's still out on whether or not Urshifu can handle the, the swarm of Manaphy's coming for it. And if it can, then I think Urshifu moves to that BDIF spot, and then we have Arceus and Mew in kind of that uh, tier one or tier two, if we don't put a tier S, whatever, you know, just right under it. But uh, that's definitely how it would stack up, I think. Yeah, and Arceus definitely feels like it underperformed in uh, Frankfurt, right? It, yeah. it, no top eight finishes is definitely underperforming, but it was still really popular and still had good finishes. There was a lot of players in top 16, top 32, and in just day two in general with the deck. And I think, you know, making day two at an IC is considered a very good accomplishment because the playing field is just really, really tough at these big, uh, you know, international level events because so many of the top players travel to them. Um, so yeah, just even making day two, it should definitely be considered a solid finish, a solid accomplishment. So lots of Arceus still in day two. And there were some interesting decks running around for Arceus. There was some Lycanroc VMAX out there. There was Arceus Malamar VMAX, which we got to feature on the stream. There was actually a couple players playing that, um, you know, Alex Wilson made top 64 with the Arceus Dark deck, which is something yep. you and I were big fans of heading into this event. And then Pablo Meza made day two with Arceus Intellion, just kind of a more straightforward list, right? So mm -hmm. where is Arceus right now? What is the best variant? And what should, you know, and does Manaphy kind of naturally fit into pretty much all of them? I think... It has to for the most part, unless you come up with, like, if you play something like the Hoopa V, then maybe you don't need mana fee because you just win the prize trade, maybe. You're mm -hmm. like, okay, you Gale thrust me, uh, and now I now I bop you back, and I'm ahead on the prize trade. Because you're, like, almost, almost most games, Urshifu's not drawing the first prize card, right? Like, they're almost always drawing um, the the, the follow-up prize cards, right? Or even sometimes, in, like, the Mew matchup, you don't draw prize cards until your opponent's taking three prize cards, right? So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, Arceus, there's still there's so much room and flexibility. I think maybe... Arceus decks have to start to get away from the Inteleon build because I think you open up so much more space in the deck, 
Yes. Or, and yeah. you're not Intellion as... is obviously like the best draw support yeah. in the format is through Intellion, but it takes up so much deck space. So you have to consider is it worth committing this many spots to this engine when I could, you know, just commit four to f- six spots to a B-Barrel engine. Yeah, and it, it actually, to me, it's just not as fun. Like, that's why I like the B-Barrel architect so much more. It's just so much more fun. Like, I think the Arcus Intellion build maybe is better, but I think that, that was one of my top picks going into UIC was Arceus B-Barrel because I just enjoyed the deck a lot. It was just fun to play B-Barrel. It was fun to not play an Intellion deck as well. Like, sure, you get all your cards and all your combos, but, like, it's just been that for so long. I just really enjoy the the flow of of Arceus B Barrel and how, having so much room to kind of do what you want with the deck, right? You have so much more space to kind of do whatever you want, which is just really, really freeing as far as like deck building goes. Um, which is one thing I like about the Urshifu deck, I guess, as well, is because you play such thin lines and stuff, you also get to play so much stuff as well. But yeah, I think Arceus X got to like shake it up a little bit and uh, try out some different stuff. And I think getting away from the Intellion engine would definitely be a good uh, initial step uh, to start trying new stuff out. Because also, then when you bench your mana fee, when Avery happens, you're not getting as punished, right? You can discard, oh, you want to discard my Crobat and my my other Arceus? Sure, go ahead. I'm going to keep my my mana fee, my B-Barrel, my second attacker, and then uh, we're chilling, right? So... um, well, I'm going to be interested to see this next week how the online meta develops because that's kind of like a good early look at, you know, where things are kind of headed because, you know, there's a lot of online events still running and people will obviously take their Frankfurt results into consideration when building their decks. So next week we'll definitely break down much more before Indianapolis regionals and also before the Latin American regionals this upcoming, this next weekend after this weekend. So be sure to stay tuned for next week's episode. That's just a little early preview of Indie, um, which is going to be an exciting tournament. I, I think the meta is in a really good spot right now, and I think Pokemon's really fun to play right now as well, which is uh, pretty nice to say. Yeah, no, it feels good. It feels good. It definitely feels... And I was one of the people initially where I was like, Mew just feels too good. This is, like, not as enjoyable. It's not as fun. Like, you always have to worry about Mew, but we're almost getting to a point in the meta where you can almost take a loss to Mew. We're not there yet, I don't think. Um, we definitely could maybe get to that point uh, to the point where you could take an unfavorable matchup or kind of just like a, a hard loss to Mew, um, which is which is which is like I feel like what you want. You want the meta to be able to shift around, right? You want the top deck to be yeah, sure definitely. be a top deck, but it's like okay, if someone just comes through and counters it, then it should fall off, right? If if the next deck just counters that and you move on and you rotate around, and or there's enough decks in the format where you don't have to worry about every single top deck, right? You know, if there's five, six tier one decks definitely don't have to beat all of them you know just the ones you think are going to be most popular um on the day um or the most successful into you know day two of a tournament but uh definitely like like where it's at overall i think there's a lot of cool stuff going on uh unless urshifu is that next unbeatable (laughs) tier one bdif deck but i don't think it's i think there's a lot you can do up against urshifu for sure and it's not quite there i think it's definitely abusing a lot of the way that decks are built right now namely you know Mm -hmm. lack of marnie and then only kind of two top decks to compete against it which were Arceus and Mew uh it makes it easier for the deck to be kind of built and uh, deal with those decks for sure well thanks so much to everyone for listening to this week's episode I know it's a little different than normal probably a little worse audio quality than you're used <laughs> to I'm in a hotel room like we said at the beginning so everything will be back to normal for next week and shout outs to Azul for recording the podcast this week I normally kind of handle all the like uh 
the back end recording and like uploading of stuff. Yeah, the technical stuff. So shout outs to Azul for being flexible doing it so I can enjoy my vacation. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Happy to help out on that end. Chip, as always, guys, if you're you're watching on the YouTube, be sure to like, subscribe, comment, uh, follow us on Twitter as well. We're, we're on all of the audio platforms if you want to check us out over there and listen to us over there instead. Um, uh, appreciate everything. Uh, all the support has been crazy, uh, and we're, we're both really enjoying doing the podcast, so we're going to keep coming Absolutely. at you with it every single week and try and be as consistent as possible. So we'll see you next Tuesday at 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace. Peace.